Heavenly Father, once again, we bow before you, knowing that we are so desperate for you to grant us understanding of your word. Father, this morning, help me to be able to speak as you have given me words to say. May they be your words, not mine. Help each one of us here receive them as that, the words of God that we might be changed into the likeness of your dear Son, whom you graciously and mercifully sacrificed for us, that we might have relationship with you, a relationship unlike any relationship we would have with any anybody else, so close, a oneness in which you would change us into the likeness of your Son, that we would be like him. And so we thank you for that, Lord. So illumine our hearts and our minds this morning as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn in them to John chapter 8. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8. I got John on my mind and Romans on my mind. I don't know where I'm going this morning. Romans chapter 8. What a wonderful time we've been having as we have been studying through this great chapter. And as I said last time we were here, it's as if we are climbing a mountain as we study through Romans. And when we get to chapter 8, we're at that highest peak. If you think about the book of Romans, you can think of it like that, these mountain peaks as you take your way all the way through. And Romans chapter 8 is the pinnacle. We are reaching the top. We've been reminded that at the top is the wonder of glorification, the wonder of what God will fully accomplish one day on behalf of all of those who know Him. All of those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith will one day be fully glorified. We are, in fact, in the mind and heart of God already glorified. And yet, in one day, in time, we will be fully realizing that. And at the top is the reality in that glorification of being like Christ, being made into His image. And along the way, on the trail of that Christian living and being conformed into the likeness of Christ, we have realized that in that process there is a great many struggles and a great many times of pain. Some of the pain comes from circumstances that we encounter along the way. The road of our Christian lives is through a very dry and weary land and we encounter many different painful things. Things in which and circumstances in which cause us pain in different ways. Just being identified with Jesus Christ by faith, just being a Christian in the world in which we live in this 21st century is painful. Living for Him, desiring to share with others the truth and the beauty and the wonder and the glory of Jesus Christ will, not might, will, Bring difficulty into your life. For all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul said to Timothy, will be persecuted. 
But there is also the struggle internally, the struggle against our own sinfulness. We, we have the struggle externally with the world and, and the things around us and the circumstances by which God allows to, to shape us and mold us and chisel off all those areas in which He is shaping us into that image of His Son. But yet there is those internal struggles as well, the struggle against our own sin the struggle against our own neglect of obedience to the very things that God has said for us to obey. The daily battle against just throwing up our hands and giving up and saying, I've had enough, I'm done with all of this. The subsequent reality to doubt our assured salvation. Yet in chapter 8, we have heard those wonderfully comforting words. There is, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is such a comforting truth for the weary traveler, is it not? If and since you as a Christian are a weary traveler, then that truth should comfort your soul. Since you are a true Christian by faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot be condemned before God. For God to condemn you now would be for God to condemn His Son. Do you realize that? There is now, therefore, no condemnation because you are in Christ. For God to condemn you now would be for God to condemn Jesus Christ. You cannot be condemned before God. And as we have been studying over these past weeks, the Apostle Paul, in essence, has been saying to us, I'll prove to you that there is a position by which I have declared no condemnation for you, the reality for you. I'll prove it to you in this chapter. So Paul has been giving us the proofs that there is, in reality, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we've been looking at these over the last several weeks. We looked at the first one. There is unity with Jesus Christ, verses 1 to 4. There is no condemnation for us because we are united with Jesus Christ. That's what I've already said. God cannot condemn His Son, therefore He cannot condemn you. The second one we looked at was the work of the Holy Spirit in us, or the change of character in the person who is united with Jesus Christ. In those in whom there is no condemnation, there is also then a change of their very character. And verses 5 through 13 showed us that. We are those who walk by the Spirit. We're not those who walk according to the things of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. We set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We have our lives set on the things of the Spirit. Therefore, we walk according to the Spirit. Those who have their minds on the flesh cannot please God. And so we have a character change. That character change shows us that that we are in that position of no condemnation before God. We're not talking about perfection, but we are talking about direction. Then we said, thirdly, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, not just the work of the Holy Spirit in us, in other words, that works to conform us to the image of His Son and in practice of life, but also the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, which is our new identity. We saw that in verses 14 through 17, where we are, in fact, children of God, verse 16 says. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of 
God. We have a new identity. We're no longer enemies of God as what we were before Christ. Now we are children of God. We have an adoption that took place. An adoption. And then, fourthly, we said, there is the inheritance we have, which is glory. We have a place of glory reserved for us. Verses 18 to 25. We have a great glory that is coming. We are glorified now in the sense that we are in Christ, but we will be finally and fully glorified when we are realizing that immortality in the presence of God Himself. There's a fifth proof that I want us to deal with this morning, and that is the Holy Spirit's intercessory work with us. The Holy Spirit's intercessory work with us. In other words, we can... We have proof that we are in this position of no condemnation because of our helper. Because of our helper. We have a new position. We have a new character. We have a new identity. We have a new place. And we have a helper. We have a helper. Verses 26 and 27 says this. And in this same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I was reading that in the New American Standard translation. Some of you may have the ESV translation. I think they do a better job with this in the original language and the translation because it seems to say that the Spirit is the one praying. The Spirit is the one praying. And I want you to understand that in the original language, that's not the case. And I hope to help us understand that as we go through here. I just say that at the outset because I don't want us to be confused with this. Paul has been arguing all along concerning why it is we can be assured of our salvation. Why it is we can be sure that if we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we can have full assurance of that. And he does so here because of the work of the Holy Spirit on our behalf, he's been saying all along. We can be assured of our salvation because the Holy Spirit is is doing his work on our behalf. In fact, just to kind of show you this a little bit, go back to verse 2 really quickly. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. In other words, the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God the Spirit, is the one that was the agent in setting you free through the means of Jesus Christ from the bondage to sin. It was the Spirit of God that was dispatched by God and Christ to set you free through the means of Christ from sin. So the Spirit of God is is the agent in that reality. He's been working. And again, verse 4, in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, 
who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Again, verse 4, Paul tells us that one of the outcomes of our being saved by the Spirit in Christ is that the requirement of the law, both sides of the law, remember, condemnation side and the righteous fulfillment side of the law, both of those, are fulfilled for every one of us who believe in Jesus Christ, who walk not according to flesh, but according to the Spirit. There again, the Spirit is working. And then in verse 10, Paul expands it even a little more. And if Christ is in you, through the bo- though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. In other words, our entire perspective on life has changed. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God in us. We see things differently. Our view of life is viewed through a whole different lens. Not because you woke up one day and finally figured it all out and said, hey, listen, I got this thing together. Now I realize everybody else is dumb. No, the Spirit of God has worked in you. The Spirit of God has made you alive. The Spirit of God has opened your eyes to the truth. So we no longer live now according to the flesh. Why? Because the spirit of life is in us. But according, we live to him. So we set our minds not on the things of the flesh. We set our minds on the things of the spirit. And so the moment that you and I are saved by faith in Christ, the spirit of God enters us and begins this process of sanctification in our life begins the process by which you are practically in in your exercise, in your life work, being sanctified. Notice verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, there's the principle. Once you're saved, the Spirit indwells you and your life begins to change in every way. You think differently, you talk differently, you you live differently, you speak differently, you evaluate life differently. You don't go back to the same things you did before when you were dead. So, since we have the Spirit in us, then we are guaranteed of resurrection in the future Right? He, is the, he is the earnest down payment that God gave us, guaranteeing that we will be raised in the future because the Spirit in us proves that we have already been raised with Christ to new life spiritually. You see, one of the guarantees God gave you that you will one day be future raised is the reality that you already live differently now. You already have been. You wouldn't think like that if you were an unbeliever. You wouldn't continue to go on and and struggle in life and deal with difficulties in life the way you deal with difficulties in life by trusting God if you were not saved. That's not what the world does. The world just gives up or they look for a new therapist trying to cope with life. Then he says in verse 14, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. 
So being led by the Spirit proves that you're a child of God. And since you are a child of God, therefore we have, verse 15 through 17, all of the inheritance that is associated with sonship. Everything that's associated with being a son of God, we have. And so the Spirit, you see, is instrumental in helping us all along the way to this future glorification that will come. And so it's not a surprise to us then that when we come to verse 26, we hear the Apostle Paul say, in the same way. In the same way. You see, in other words, there is something more that the Spirit does. There is something more that the Spirit of God does on our behalf. And it's such a comfort when we realize it. Notice what he says. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness weakness. And here, Paul is talking in the context of prayer. Prayer. He helps our weakness in the context of prayer. He helps our weaknesses in all kinds of ways, but specifically Paul's dealing with this issue of prayer. And here is what needs to be emphasized as we think through this point. Here's what we need to emphasize. There is nothing more important for us as Christians Nothing more important for us as Christians as we go on walking down this difficult trail of the thing called the Christian life. Nothing more important for us than to know how to keep in touch with our Heavenly Father. This is the celestial cell phone plan right here. If you have been a Christian for any length of time, and I trust you have come to realize that there are times when you pray that you find it very hard to know what to ask God for. You ever realize that? You just don't know what to ask for. You go to God and you're praying and you, you, you're going through some difficulty. The, the, the road is hard. Life is, is coming at you full and, and, and from every angle. And you just don't know what to pray for. problem arises with us, Paul says, from our weakness, from our weakness, or from within us, from within us. It says here that the Spirit helps our weakness. That means, first of all, that we have weakness. I know some of us would like to think not, but we do. Secondly, it's a great comfort to know that the Spirit is there, always there to help us with it. Now, I want us to understand that Paul is not so much concerned for us to know how many ways we might be weak. It's not what he's so much concerned with. It's not, he's not wanting us to think, okay, think of all the ways you might be weak and start to work on strengthening those up. That's not what he's doing. Or how many ways we might be weak in our responses when it comes to those difficulties. But rather, by weakness, he's talking about what it is that may cause us to be weak. In other words, Paul is referring here to our condition. 
We are in a condition of weakness. This is our condition here on this earth. This is our condition here as sojourners, more than some particular weakness in the moment. This is the condition of who we are. We are in a position of weakness here on this earth. And in the same way, the Spirit helps our condition, our weak condition. Let me give you an example. In Hebrews chapter 5, in fact, go there for a moment. We've studied this in the past, but I'm sure it's not in any of our minds because it certainly wasn't in mind initially until I was reminded of this in my study. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2, when the writer of Hebrews is explaining Christ as our high priest and using the work of the earthly priest to try to help us understand that. Notice what he says. He, and he's talking about the earthly priest, for every high priest taken from among men, verse 1, is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. So he's talking, he's using this as an example, and he says, he can deal gently with the ignorance and misguided since he himself also is beset with what? Weakness, same word. He, he's in the same condition. He, that priest can deal with, with us before God as he was in the Old Testament. He could deal with the things that he was dealing with before God on behalf of them because he was in that same position. He was in that same weakness. Now go back to Romans chapter 8 because that is exactly what Paul is referring to here. The Spirit helps our condition of weakness our lack of, of strength because of our condition. So we're not, we're not talking about some sin. That's not what he's talking about here. The Spirit helps our, our, our sinfulness in these areas. No, we're not talking about sin here. Sometimes our weakness is an avenue to sin. Certainly that's true, but he's not talking about sin. He's talking about our condition. Our condition is not sin in and of itself. And so the emphasis here is more on the spiritual side of things rather than on you being weak in some other particular task or even you being weak physically. That's not what he's talking about. So what I'm, what I'm attempting to try to have us understand as we get into this is just simply this, that even though we are saved, And even though our salvation is certain, even though it's absolutely secure, and although we are dead to sin and dead to the law, as we've already learned, that we are free from eternal condemnation, even though all of that is true, we are still yet to be fully perfected. Right? We are in the minds of God. All of that is an accomplished reality, yet in time it is taking place. So we are yet to be fully perfected. We are still vulnerable to spiritual weakness. It's our condition. In fact, we have already heard this, verse 23. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. That's, that's a reality. 
even though we're saved, even though we have all the inheritance in the glories of heaven, secured by God himself, even though we are in Christ, even though we are secure until the eternal day of glory, we still hear, even though we have all of that as first fruits, we are still here groaning. And so our spiritual weakness is seen through the challenges that we face as we live here. God uses all of those challenges from just being in this physical body. I'm having a challenge even today as I stand up here and preach with with a cold in my head and wanting to go to my chest. We, We get sick. We get tired. We have challenges from the world around us that challenge us spiritually. We get marginalized because we're Christians. We lose family relationships. We we lose friendships. We even lose jobs because we're Christians. And so we are challenged from all of those external things, and then we are challenged from the internal reality of just living in the flesh. Here we are. And so all of those reveal our spiritual weaknesses. And that weakness shows up often when we pray. Notice what he says. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. Like I said, I think the ESV does a better job with the translation here because it's not so much that we do not know how to pray, as Christians, we've been taught that. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said to his disciples, here's how you need to pray. That's the, that's the example of how to pray. So it's not that we don't know how to pray, but rather it's very often in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of, of struggle, because of our spiritual weakness, we don't know what to pray for. That's how the ESV puts it. Here's how it says it. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. In other words, very often our struggle is not that we we don't go to God in prayer in times of trouble. We do. Sometimes that may be a problem with us, but we should go there. And, and, and very often, especially when you're really going through something hard, you go to God with prayer. We do that. Our struggle, though, oftentimes, our weakness is that we don't know what to pray for at those times. And so Paul isn't telling us that we have the Spirit in us, so be encouraged that you can go to God in prayer. That's not what he's saying. That's true, but that's not what he's emphasizing. What he's emphasizing here is that in my own particular circumstances, whatever is going on in my life as a Christian, what am I to be praying for? You see, that's the particular weakness that we have when we are enduring trials and tribulations and everything seems to be against us. Okay, what do I pray for? What is it that I'm to ask God for? We know how to approach God in prayer. But the difficulty is that often we don't know what to ask for. Why? Because we don't, we don't know what is fitting. We don't know what is necessarily fitting for the particular trial I'm in. 
part of the reason that we are weak in those things is because we don't always understand what is best. We don't always understand what is right. And so we may even be praying for the wrong thing. Ask yourself this question. How do you know sometimes when you're praying in a time of struggle, trial, things going on, difficulty from the outside, you go to God in prayer. How do you know you're even praying for the right thing when you go through that trial and struggle? How do you know? Sometimes we ask for the wrong thing. You say, really? Yeah, Paul did. What? The Apostle Paul prayed for the wrong thing? Yeah. He prayed for what he thought was right. He prayed for what would be good in the moment, and yet we know from Scripture that it wasn't what God wanted. It wasn't the right thing. We know that because he asked God to remove the thorn in the flesh three times. God, this guy is hounding me. Whatever's taking place is coming upon me. It's hard. It's hindering the ministry. This needs to go away for your ministry to go forward, for everything to flourish. This has to be done. Get it out of the way. And God said, no, no. No, Paul. Wrong prayer. Not what I want for you. The entire passage could be said to be a commentary on these very verses. I entreated the Lord three times and God didn't take it away. He said simply, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul wasn't sinning by asking for what he was asking. He wasn't sinning by asking God to take it away three times. He was just thinking like we do. If it goes away, then I'll be more effective. If it gets out of my way, the ministry is going to be better. God had a whole other plan, didn't he? And so here's our difficulty. What are we to pray for? What are we to pray for? Because in our condition of weakness, we don't always know what is best for us. And that's what makes these verses so comforting to us. Paul says the Spirit of God helps our weakness. So how does that work? Well, first, realize this, that when you are perplexed about what to pray for, God the Spirit himself does something to help you. When you are perplexed what to pray for, when you are even praying in that perplexed state before God, God the Spirit is doing something to help you. The very word helps here is a, is a great word. Great word. You know, we keep championing in this church, learn the original language. You need to know something about the language. It would be good for you to know something about the original language because the English language doesn't say everything that sometimes the original language says in its picturesque form. Sometimes when we read the Word of God in the English language, we're getting a 2D picture when the words that they're translated from are 3D. This is one of those words. It's made up of three different words in the original language. And each one of them is important for us to understand what is being said here. The first word means together. The first of the three words that make up this one word that, that the word helps is here. The first means together. And I'm not going to give you all the original words. This the definition. First means together. The second word means over against. And the third is to take. 
So you have together, over against, and to take. So the idea here is that two people are taking something over and against one another. That doesn't sound very logical in our thinking, but hopefully when I'm done you'll understand it. It means that one person is giving a helping hand to the other person by taking hold of or taking over against that person the load that they are carrying. That's the idea. They are together over against each other going and carrying along whatever load it is. So let me draw a picture for us. Picture in your mind there is a person or you are a person carrying a heavy load of object. You have all these objects in your hand almost to the point at which you are going to to fall. You can't carry them. It's, It's too much for you. Maybe even you have a telephone pole in your hand and you're trying to pick it up yourself. And maybe because you're somewhat strong enough and have the wheel, you you have it up in some kind of way. And all of a sudden, someone comes along and says, hey, let me take the other end of that load and help you. So what has happened? Instead of the one person carrying the load that was too much for them by themselves, they were weary under because of their weakness. The other person comes along, picks up the other end, And together they carry it. Together they carry it. That's the picture that Paul is saying here. In the same way the Spirit helps our weakness. Paul says in our condition of weakness, the Spirit of God comes to our aid, picking up the other end. So what do we learn from that? Well, we learn that, that as Christians, we're carrying heavy burdens. We're living in a world of struggle. This is a world of struggle. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's struggle, trouble. Just That's from the outside, let alone the things on the inside. Each one of us is going through difficulties as Christians, external and internal. We're experiencing weakness when we pray. We go to God and we we don't even know what to ask for. But the Spirit comes along and He gives us a helping hand. And He takes hold of the load being carried under our weakness in order to help us know what to pray for. Notice that the Spirit doesn't take the burden from us. Notice that. It doesn't say the Spirit comes along and takes that weakness and just carries it off and you don't have to worry about it no more. No, He helps us. That's an important difference for us to remember in the times of trouble, difficulty. Because I know in my own heart, I know in my own heart, I want the burden gone. I just want it gone. I want it off my plate. That's not what God says that he does. He helps us in our weakness. In fact, it doesn't even say here necessarily helps us in our weakness. He helps our weakness. He helps our condition. How does he do that? Notice the Spirit 
intercedes. The Spirit intercedes. I love that. Why? Because I may not know what to pray for, but the Spirit does. The Spirit knows what to pray for. The Spirit knows exactly what my need is. knows exactly what God wants in it. He says He intercedes. He intercedes. The meaning of that word carries the idea of being rescued. Being rescued by a person who who just kind of happens to come along when when you're in trouble and you need help to plead your case. That's the idea. You're so weak, you're so stymied from the situation, you don't know what to ask for. Somebody else comes along and pleads your case on behalf of you. That's the idea. So think of someone else helping you plead your case because you're struggling to do it effectively. I don't know what to ask for. Uh, here, let me, let, me, let me intercede for you on this. This is what Paul is saying here. The Spirit helps us plead our case. In other words, he helps us pray what it is we need to be praying. This is what the phrase, with groanings too deep for words, is. He's not talking about the Spirit groaning. He's talking about us groaning. We, we're so weak, we, we groan with, with groanings too deep for words. They're not even legible, and the Spirit intercedes. The Spirit finds us in weakness because of our circumstances, because of our walk in this Christian life. We don't know what to pray for. We don't want to pray for something that's wrong. And so the Spirit comes as our helper, our advocate, and He helps us know what to pray. What's He helping us to know? What's He helping us to know? Verse 27, He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to what? The, the italics words in at least the New American Standard aren't words in the original language according to the will of God. No, it, it simply says he intercedes for the saints according to God. You can't separate the will of God from who God is. That's the idea. It's according to everything that God is, according to everything that God's doing, according to God. He intercedes. He helps us according to what God would have. According to God. In other words, the Spirit knows what is best. You say, how does He know that? Because He's God. He knows what is best. And therefore, when we do not know the what to pray as we ought, the Spirit does. And He helps us according to the will of God. According to, according to Godness. The idea is that when we are praying, it is the Holy Spirit that is stirring in us those prayers. We, we may not know what to pray for, but when we are praying, that's the Spirit of God in us stirring up those prayers. So that we could even say that without the Holy Spirit, we couldn't pray at all. And 
So the Spirit of God is always working in us. But that work is even more special when we are in the midst of difficulty. We don't even know what to pray for. He helps us in what it is we are to pray for. And there's great comfort in that. There's great comfort in knowing that it is God and only God who truly knows what's in our hearts, isn't it? I mean, this is what verse 27 says. He who searches the hearts. He's talking about God there. It is God who searches the heart. No one can know your heart. No one knows your heart. You don't even know your heart, even though you want to try to say you do. You say, how can you say that, Pastor? Because that's what the Bible says, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? Nobody. God does. God knows your heart. Only God truly knows everything that's going on in your heart. There are things in our hearts that no one knows but God. So when we are perplexed about life, when we are in such difficulty, we can't even even find words to speak. God knows our heart. God knows. He knows all about our feelings. He knows our desires. He knows exactly what is happening. God doesn't even need to hear words from us to hear us. He always hears us. And He completely understands us. That's why I read Psalm 10 this morning. Because it seems so confusing in the world around us that everything's going haywire. When are you going to do something? I mean, it seems as if the prospering's going on on the wrong side of the scale. When are you going to do something? And in the end, the psalmist just says, but we know that you have it all controlled. God doesn't need to hear words from us. He always hears us. He completely understands us. He commands us to pray in words. So you say, what's the point? Well, here's the whole point in all of this. God has given us His Holy Spirit to help us in so many different ways especially in those toughest times when we are perplexed with life, especially in those times. And those perplexities, those groanings that are too deep for words, get this, are gifts to us by the Spirit. Those perplexities, those moments when you're groaning, you don't even know what to ask for, are gifts to you by the Spirit to help confirm to you that you are a children of God, that you are really under no condemnation. Because even in the darkest moments, God knows and hears my groaning. And He helps because I have the Spirit. You always have the Spirit with you. Always. Jesus said, I am sending a helper, and he will be with you always. Therefore, even when I'm perplexed, I can groan in my perplexity, knowing that God knows my heart, and even my groanings are according to his will. God allows us to be tried. 
God who allows things to go against us. We become perplexed in those things, in our own weakness. The condition of being still here, unfully perfected. But God has given us His Spirit. And what the Spirit does is carries out the will of God perfectly with regard to us. And we simply are passing through this world. We are not yet fully saved, fully in the sense of realizing the perfection that is to come when we are standing before God and we see Him as He is. Right? We hope for what we do not see, as Paul said in verse 25. We've been given the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan within ourselves, waiting for that full adoption. And while we are in that condition, that, that weak condition, God the Father and the Son have dispatched on our behalf the Spirit to do His special interceding work in helping our weakness. Listen. Listen. That's not how God deals with all men. That's not how God deals with everybody. That's how God deals with His children. The Spirit intercedes for the saints. He doesn't intercede for those who aren't children of God. So even in our most perplexed prayers, even those are proof that we are under no condemnation. So don't don't go away from this discouraged. If you are united with Christ, you're going to have difficulty. And when you have difficulty because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, both in the world externally and in your own heart internally, and you are perplexed at even what to pray, pray. Pray. Pray in that perplexed moment. Pray in those times, knowing that it's the Spirit that gives you those things, and God fully understands your words, and He understands your place. And all of that, is confirmation of your relationship with Jesus Christ and that you'll never be condemned by God. So what's a Christian? Remember, we've been talking about this all along. What is a Christian? We've been kind of defining this idea. What is a Christian? A Christian is a person who is united with Jesus Christ. A Christian is a person whose character has been and is being changed by the Spirit of God. A Christian is a person who has a new identity because of the Spirit of God indwelling them. They are a child of God. And a person, a Christian is a person who has an inheritance and glory awaiting them. From our time this morning, a Christian is a person who always has the Spirit as their helper. Always. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you again for our time this morning. Thank you for sustaining my voice and these words, Lord. I pray they've been an encouragement to your people. Thank you for encouraging my soul even this week as I think about these things and how your spirit works on our behalf. We are so grateful to not be left alone. Even in our perplexities, we can pray, knowing the spirit is helping our weakness helping that perplexity, helping our state according to your will to accomplish it for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.